We are in a series now. It's called Jesus in Plain Sight. Jesus in Plain Sight. And what that means is as you go through the Gospels, what you see many people encountering Jesus, and they don't see him for who he truly is. They do not understand his identity, and they do not understand why he came and what his mission is. So one of the goals as we go through the Gospels is to understand who Jesus is and what he came to do and what he came to accomplish. And we're going to see Jesus as he really is, which is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And so as we embark on that, today we're going to be in Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 27 to 31. We're going to be talking about one of the most difficult passages in all the New Testament to live out, and that is how to treat your enemies. So we need the Lord's help on that. So let's bow our heads and go to Him in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank You that You are loving and kind and gracious. Thank You that You sent Jesus to model for us what it's like to live a perfect human life. Lord, we want to imitate Jesus in what we think and what we say and what we do and how we live. And Lord, we, we know that when he encountered opposition, he treated everybody with love and respect. He loved his enemies. He prayed for those who persecuted him. He blessed those who did him harm. He entrusted himself to you. And I pray, Lord, that through this message, you will teach us how to do the same. Lord, in our natural human nature, we want to retaliate, we want to fight back, we want to cower in fear when our enemies come. Lord, you, you're teaching us a better way, and I pray that we not just think about it and understand it mentally, but we would put it into practice and thus become more like you. That's our goal today, and we ask for your help in the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you know, that's the main uh, point as we open up our lesson here, how to treat your enemies, and that is that we have uh, people in our lives, at the very least, if on the mild side, we have people in our lives that rub us the wrong way, and that's just because not everyone gets along. Not everybody sees eye to eye. I love it how a pastor, uh, Ray Johnston, says it in Bayside. He said, what we're called to do as Christians is we don't see eye to eye on everything, but we are called to walk hand in hand. Now think about that. Even if you don't see eye to eye, let's walk in hand in hand. Now, there's basically two categories of people that rub us the wrong way. First of all, just somebody who's slightly irritating, maybe annoying, maybe gets under our skin a little bit, um, but they're... I, we wouldn't call them an enemy. We would just call them somebody who's like a very draining person or a, somebody who needs EGR, extra grace required, when you, when you come around somebody like that. But then there's also somebody who is sort of openly against us. When someone insults you or tries to shame you or uh, tries to hurt you in some way, what do you do in a situation like that? How do you treat them in such a way that shows them God's love, that honors God in your life, and blesses those who are around you. You know, just as a reminder, Jesus gave us two great commands, right? Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 22, one of the teachers of the law in the temple in the last week of Jesus' life said, Rabbi, 
what is the greatest command that we need to follow? And Jesus said these words right here, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. But then Jesus didn't stop there. He added another commandment, and he said the other commandment is like this, love your neighbor as yourself, right? So I see those commands. It says, oh, okay, love God with all your heart. I, I think I can try to do that. Eh, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, I think I can do that too until, until the details come out, right? What does that mean to love your neighbor as yourself? It isn't hard for us to love those who love us, right? I've, if somebody's nice to me, I'm going to be nice to them. Uh, it, but Jesus says these words. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? If you love only the people who love you, what credit is that to you? Even the pagans do that, right? So he's saying that's not a big ethical victory in your life if you are kind to those who are kind to you. Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that, right? So Matthew, uh, when you go to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, that was the Jewish ethic of the day, the highest, <laughs> where they had the law of Moses. They had the very words of God come down by revelation through the prophet Moses on Mount Sinai. They had the highest ethic in all the world in the first century until Jesus came. And even the Jews were saying, love your, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So Jesus is teaching here. He's saying love cannot be selective, right? Um, he says these words. To you who are listening, I say this. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Just look at those words and say, hmm, I think I understand the meaning. I know the four verbs. We're supposed to love. We're supposed to do good. We're supposed to bless and we're supposed to pray for. Now, maybe praying for those who insult you is the easiest of the four. Well, I'm going to pray for you. God, get them. You know, <laughs> you know uh, would you take care of them? I mean, David certainly prayed prayers like that in his life when he had enemies. Uh, and, of course, that was the old covenant where you could love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But then Jesus comes along, and he gives us this ethic. And he says, I want you to live it out. And I'm going to model it for you, but I'm still commanding you, even though you have your old self and your old nature, only through God's Spirit is Jesus going to help you overcome that, to be able to love, to do good, to bless, and to pray for those who insult you. So Jesus goes on to say this. He says, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other. There's where we get the phrase, turn the other cheek. It's not just a... a it's not just a metaphor. In Jesus' day, it was for real. Because if somebody wanted to insult somebody, that's what they did. If somebody slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. You know, in Jesus' day, society was built around two things. In first century Israel, there were these concepts of shame and honor. Shame and honor. And that, that means that if somebody wanted to insult you in the worst way possible, to hurt you in the worst way possible, they would try to do something to publicly shame you, right? 
if they were to give you a backhand across your right cheek, you know, most of the Jews in the first century, they didn't use their left hand for hardly anything. They used their right hand. So if they gave you a right hand backhand slap across your face, they would hit you on the right cheek. And Jesus says, if they do that, what are you supposed to do? Turn the other cheek. Now, of course, that's a lot easier said than done. It was a gesture by somebody meant to insult you, meant to show contempt for you. I was thinking of it in the modern terms. I came across the movie Robin Hood Men in Tights. I mean, a classic movie, right? 1993, uh, in the line of the Princess Bride, a lot of humor there. But there is a scene, and it's, it's the classic scene right before a duel, right? Uh, one of the men comes up to the other men, and they have these gloves, and they take their gloves, and they slap their face with the gloves. And it's basically a challenge to a fight or a challenge to a duel. The funny part about Robin Hood Men in Tights was the man had his cloth gloves or his leather, leather gloves, and he hits Robin Hood across the face. Well, Robin Hood happened to have his knight's gear on, so he had this big, giant metallic glove about the size of the Hulk's hand, and it was made of metal, so he took his glove, and he says, I accept your challenge. Boom, and he knocks the guy out <laughs> with, with the metal glove. Uh, I don't think that's what Jesus is calling us to do. But it is easier said than done, is it not, to turn the other cheek? At least I see you're nodding your head. You were there when this happened. This was in 2004, 16 years ago, in the summer. Our church decided that we were going to go and evangelize Muslims, right? So where do you find Muslims in a place where if you evangelize them, you don't get arrested or killed when someone's yelling Allahu Akbar right before they do something to you? Uh, you can go to London because the laws in England are freedom of religion. And there is actually a place in Hyde Park in London, and it's called Speaker's Corner. And in Speaker's Corner on Sunday afternoon, anybody from any faith, any philosophy, any religion can go down there to Speaker's Corner, and they usually carry with them a little stepladder, about a three-foot stepladder, and they stand up on the ladder and they start proclaiming their message to the world right? So we had an opportunity to do that, and we shared our faith with many Muslims. It was one of the most, most exciting times in my, my life. I remember finishing that two hours of doing this, uh, sharing the gospel with Muslims and, and arguing with them back and forth over who had the true religion, Christianity or Islam. And uh, I finished that, and I remember I was so pumped up. It was like I could not sit down. And uh, about uh, four or five days later from that Hyde Park first experience, that first Sunday we were there, we went to an area of London called Westminster. Of course, that's where Westminster Abbey is, hands down, best abbey you've ever seen. Um, but anyway, that's a Friends episode. Anyway, the, what, in Westminster, they had uh, a lot of Muslims that were living there. And by the way, Mus there's over a million people who claim to be Muslim living in the metropolis of, of London. And then in the summertime, when it's baking hot in the Middle East and in other places in the world, guess where all the well-to-do Muslims like to go to cool off in the summer? They go to London. So Operation Mobilization has special ministries during that time, and we evangelize Muslims. We pass out tracts. We pass out New Testaments in Arabic. I remember uh, standing on a street corner one time, and I had these New Testaments in Arabic, and these Muslims would come by. And very interesting, many of them had their faces covered. The women certainly did, like you do today. 
uh, but they do for religious reasons, and the men, of course, don't have to, but uh, if somebody would like to take a piece of literature, we'd be passing them out, and I remember a few times passing out a, it was a Gospel of Luke in Arabic, and the Muslim, the person would take it, and they would just think it was like an invitation to a concert or a discount at your local department store. And they would read it, and they would, I, I remember watching them a couple times, they'd, they'd take it from me, they'd be walking about three steps, they'd look down, and they'd, they visibly, their body would, would have this reaction to it, like, are you kidding me? And some of them, now some of the guys, you know, they were radical Muslims, they would take it and just throw it on the ground. Other times, people, you could tell it was like it was contraband. It was like illegal drugs or something. And they would hold it and they would stick it in their pocket. Hopefully, nobody saw them. No other Muslim saw them doing that as they were taking the gospel of Jesus in the New Testament in a written form. So we're in, we're in Westminster, and I'm, I'm talking back and forth to this Muslim guy, and we're arguing, and it's getting more and more heated. And one of the things that we were told in our training is that radical Muslims love people who really believe passionately what they believe. So when a Muslim comes up and starts, you know, what we would say yelling at you, telling us that Muhammad is a true prophet of God and Jesus is not the son of God, et cetera, et cetera, you need to come back to them just as passionate, just as fiery as they do. And that's what they respect. So I was doing that. And I was in a heated discussion with this Muslim guy. And he was, I was in my early 40s, and he was probably in his 20s. He was a big guy. And he, we finally stopped, and he, he started insulting me personally. He started insulting Lisa. And I'm just like, just take it, just take it. You know, don't, don't strike back or fire back. And then he says to me, and he says, you know, and he had a British accent. He says, your religion says that if I strike you on one cheek, you have to turn the other cheek also. And I remember my reaction at that time was, he's really going to hit me. You know? <laughs> and, and, and if he is, how am I going to react to that? And he said, and so what I said to him in reply was, and I was kind of, he, I was worked up too, you know. So I'm worked up, he's worked up, you know, hands are going, don't, don't make a ball of fist in them, you know, calm down, try to keep self-control. And he says those words to me that if I strike you on one cheek, you have to strike the other cheek. And I remember saying to him, and I said, you're right, my religion does say that. And I do consider myself a follower of Christ. And in this moment, I would like to think that I would be obedient to that command. But I'm not making any guarantees. And he, he backed off and, you know, he went his way and I went my way. So... It, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say when I share that moment is it's easier said than done in the moment. And it, it would be nice to say that I uh, took the hit and I, there were Christians there that were hit by Muslims in the face. And to every one of them, to their credit, did not strike back. And it was amazing. Uh, now, I don't know if Muslims would respect that or not. But it, we were to be obedient to Jesus and what he called us to do. It is extremely difficult to humble yourself and not try to defend yourself in a moment like that. You leave your honor, you leave your face in the Lord's hands. Um, easier said than done. You know, the world looks on that nonviolent attitude and it laughs. 
The world looks upon our turn-the-other-cheek attitude, the ethic that we're trying to live as Christ followers, and it says, you guys are crazy. There's no way you can actually live that out. You'll get run over. You'll be a doormat. You'll be dominated by everyone. The world doesn't understand non-retaliation. The world doesn't understand forgiveness in the sense that I will forgive you even if you do not apologize. I will forgive you even if you never say, I'm sorry, what I did was wrong. You know, that is a, a, a Christian ethic that's very difficult to live out. Certainly was a lot harder to live out for the man that I want to describe to you now. His name is Peter Jasek. Peter Jasek is one of the directors of Africa for a ministry called Open Doors. And he is from Czechoslovakia. He speaks English with a Czechoslovakian accent. He's interesting to listen to. But he was describing his 14 months in a prison in Sudan when he was arrested. Now, this was in 2015. Uh, Peter traveled to Sudan. He was meeting with Christians. He was passing out literature. He uh, thought he was okay with the government. He got to the airport there and I think it was Khartoum, the, whatever the capital of Sudan is, and he was getting ready to fly back to Czechoslovakia, and he was stopped by the authorities in the airport. Now, that's got to be a low point. If you, if you are in a Muslim country, Lisa and I have been in a couple, when you get on the plane out of the Muslim country and you're taking off and you're flying into open airspace, there is a little something in you that just kind of goes, whew. You know, like we're, we're there, we survived, we didn't get arrested, no, there was no problem with the government officials, etc., etc. So Peter uh, was arrested and he was tried as for espionage uh, against the uh, Sud Sudanese government and he was thrown into prison. And he was thrown into prison with six other cellmates. Now the six other cellmates that he had, they weren't even just Muslim, and I want to say just Muslims. They were ISIS fighters who had been arrested and put into prison. And so now this Christian leader goes into prison with these uh, ISIS prisoners uh, trying to do ministry to them. In Peter's words, he says, I first prayed to the Lord to be released over and over. I mean, wouldn't you do that? Wouldn't that be your first prayer? God, please help get me out of this place uh, as soon as possible. According to your will be done, but as I, if I had my way, as soon as possible. So I prayed to be released over and over, but then I prayed that the Lord would work the purposes, His purposes through me inside these prison walls. The Holy Spirit reminded me of that scripture in Philippians where it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God in those moments was guarding not only my heart, but my mind. He said, during each call for Muslim prayer, and of course, Muslims pray five times a day. They have a, usually they have a minaret somewhere in the city. They probably had it in the prison. And there would be somebody, you know, saying in Arabic, Allahu Akbar. And they, you know, they have the chanting that goes on that, that calls people to prayer. During the call to prayer, uh, and the Muslims would wash themselves in the basin and during that time, I systematically, I was praising God with words taken from the book of Revelation. Chapter 4 and verse 8, it says, The four living creatures, day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. If those four creatures could say, Holy, 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 day and night, 
for all eternity, then I could certainly say that during the Muslim time of prayer. And those words made me think about God's specific attributes. They made me think about God's holiness, His purity, His ability to heal. Holy, holy, holy is God the healer. And Peter says, I began praying for the healing of the persecuted Christians in Nigeria who had been recently injured during a series of attacks. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God who sets the captives free. And I prayed for the Christians in Eritrea, which is a little country over there by Ethiopia uh, on, on the eastern side of Africa, the eastern horn. He says, I prayed for the Christians there, some of whom had been in prison for over a decade. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. I repeated to myself over and over again, since I could not sing hymns aloud to God without getting attacked. I just sang them in my heart. And when I began to focus more and more on the holiness and power of God and less and less on the horrors of my own situation, the dynamic in that prison for me began to change. It actually changed for me. It changed for the worse. He said, my ISIS cellmates did not know that I'd been silently repeating those wonderful words of Scripture. But during that first week, the more I sang to God and exalted His name, the more harshly they treated me. Since I was the only white man in the prison, my skin became a particularly fruitful and constant source of ridicule. Hey, look how dirty your feet are, they said. Look how uh, clean our feet are in this place. He said, my cellmates became more aggressive. Whenever I was walking, they made me stop and wait until they had passed by. My cellmates forced me to sit cross-legged on the floor for hours at a time, a painful position for me. They forced me to wash their underwear. They forced me to scrub the toilet in the prison cell. They, of course, that left me humiliated and degraded. You're an infidel, they reminded me, and that's why you have to do it. They forced me to eat from a separate dish. This one, bear with me. They forced me to eat from a separate dish that they stored near the toilet. And every time one of my cellmates relieved himself, my dish was splattered with urine droplets. They called me all sorts of derogatory names when I failed to immediately answer to their titles they gave me. Filthy pig, filthy rag. When I wouldn't answer to those names, they unscrewed the wooden handle of the broom from the floor and they beat me over the head with it. Each morning, I woke up with fresh bruises on my body and a throbbing headache. So far, the Lord had given me the strength not to retaliate as they beat me. When they struck my right cheek, I turned to them my left one. Of course, even if I chose to fight back at that moment and tried to defend myself, I still uh, could not overcome the the efforts of six men. There was no way I could fend them off, so I learned that if I wanted to stay alive, I needed to answer whatever names they assigned me. The Lord gave me a special grace not only to share the gospel with them, but also to live the gospel among them. I knew that I was not my old self. I knew that it was Christ in me that was enabling me to do that in those weeks and months. So, it's amazing. Peter finally was, was transferred from one cell to another cell where they were uh, also some Christians in the prison. He wasn't uh, put with the ISIS prisoners forever. He got back to that. He said, the Lord, in, in my case, the Lord had set another captive free. Amazing story. 
I mean, how many of us could even hope to live out the kind of difficulty, the kind of challenge that he had to be able to turn the other cheek, to be able to bless those who persecuted him, to be able to pray for those who were against him, to do good to those who insulted him. Let's go back to Jesus' command. He says, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. How do you live like that? I mean, unless you're in a prison and forced to live like that and knowing that you're going to get beat up worse if you don't live like that, how do you live like that out in a free society where not everybody is your friend? Remember Jesus' words here. It just goes back to simply trusting in the Lord. Trusting in the Lord. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, your honor, your safety are in the hands of your heavenly Father. You don't have to defend yourself. You let God be your defender. Who do you get insulted by? Who is the person who metaphorically slaps you in front in the form of a dig maybe, in form of a, a barb, in, in the form of a backhanded compliment even, some of the milder forms of, of uh, insults, someone who puts down your idea. Maybe you're in a creative session in a workplace and somebody puts down your idea that you bring up. Somebody who accuses you falsely. Somebody who wrongly misjudges your motives in doing something and they condemn you for that. Ouch! Those things hurt. Those are painful to endure. What should you do? Jesus is saying, here's what not to do. Don't run and hide from them and don't try and retaliate. I mean, that's the typical two natural human responses. If they're more powerful than we are, we either run and hide or we cower in fear or we retaliate. And retaliate, Jesus says, don't do that. Don't run and hide. Don't strike back. Don't retaliate. The next time somebody offends you, try to do something different. Take the high road. Wow. Now, again, this is one of those passages. I told you it's one of the most difficult New Testament passages we can talk about. Turning the other cheek, blessing those who persecute you. A lot easier said than done. The next time someone offends you or insults you, take the high road. Turn the other cheek. Instead of slapping them back or retaliating, Jesus offers another option. I will not, in this moment, I will not seek revenge. Don't seek revenge. Wow. A lot easier said than done. Offer them forgiveness instead. Offer them forgiveness instead. Jesus goes on and he finishes out this passage in verse 30 and 31. This is where we get the golden rule. This is where it's like, hey, this is the kind... This is the kind of rule that if everybody lived this way, there would be no need to have to turn the other cheek because if everybody treated other people the way they would like to be treated, no one would be saying or doing those things to each other. The golden rule in verse 31, Jesus says, give to everyone who asks you and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do unto others, of course the old joke, I, I, I can't help but say in the old joke, do to unto others before they do unto you right? That's not what Jesus is actually saying, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Treat each other the way that you would like to be treated. Offer them forgiveness instead. Jesus knows. I, you don't think that Jesus knows that this is hard for us as human beings? You don't think he, he, he knows how difficult it is to turn the other cheek and not retaliate? 
And this isn't like where Jesus was cowering in fear from someone who was more powerful than he was. Jesus said at one time, don't you know? He said, Peter, put away your sword. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. He said, don't you think I could call on my heavenly father and he'd, he'd, he'd send legions of angels to defend me? It wasn't as if Jesus could not defend himself. It's that Jesus chose not to defend himself because he had a higher purpose in mind. And this is part of what we mean when I say Jesus in plain sight. We need to see that Jesus had an agenda. And his agenda was to be going to the cross, to be becoming the sacrifice for sin, becoming the, 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 where God's wrath was poured out against sin in the person of his son, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sin of the world. Jesus knows that not retaliating is hard, but this is what we are called to. This Peter, now Peter who saw Jesus go through all this, Peter now writes th to the church 30 years later, and he says, this is what you, as a follower of Jesus, are called to do. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. You, does anybody remember that awesome book by Charles Sheldon called In His Steps? It's an amazing book. I see only three people nodding their heads. So remind yourself, hey, look up that book, In His Steps. It's a wonderful fictional account of a community at the request of a pastor in a local church trying to live out what would that mean to follow Jesus in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. In other words, whatever they accused him of, it was wrong. It wasn't uh, true at all. And this is what I want to close with right here. He himself bore our sins in his body. Jesus carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Now look at verse 25. I, if you can, you know, one of the greatest things about the Christian life and the human experience is that we have a memory and part of the memory is that we can recall what it was like when we were outside God's family. We can recall what it's like when we wondered if we were going to be forgiven by God when we died. Where we wondered, am I or am I not in a right relationship with God in this moment? And Peter says, think about this. You were like sheep going astray. But now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You know, that is such good news for us, friends. Jesus modeled what it was like to turn the other cheek. When Jesus was insulted, he didn't open his mouth. He didn't call out curses of God on them. In fact, he said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing in this moment. They don't understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. Hopefully sometime in the future they will understand. A great number of the Jewish leaders, it says in Acts chapter 6, even a great number of priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So thank God that as the gospel was proclaimed, as God's people were living out the good news in those first five or ten years of Christendom in, there in the city of Jerusalem, many people were turning away from maybe the, from saying crucify him that one day when Jesus was in front of Pontius Pilate to saying, I bow myself before the Lord Jesus. When I see the kind of humility and love on display, I cannot help but believe him and trust him and follow him. 
And that's where I, ho I hope that your heart is moved today. I hope your heart is moved closer to God in saying, Jesus, if you'd be willing to do that for me, if you were willing to be mistreated and insulted and mocked and beat and crucified on a blood-stained Roman cross just so I could have a right relationship with God through you, then I'm going to trust in you and I'm going to follow you forever. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for these words because the only way, when we think about it, the only way this world is going to turn around in a world that says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, if somebody hurts you, you got to hurt them back. You have to defend yourself. You have to right the wrong. You have to have personal vindictive justice played out in your own life. And then, Lord, you come along and you say, no, don't retaliate. Don't return an insult for an insult. Return a blessing instead. Turn the other cheek. Pray for them. Bless them. Because the only way the world is going to get turned around is when somebody decides to absorb the hurt and take the pain and say, I will not fight back. I will not strike back. I will not retaliate. I forgive you. Lord, help us to put that kind of ethic into practice in our lives. Lord, we can't do that on our own. We need your Holy Spirit to help us. It's not in us, in our human nature, to act like that. But with your help, we know we can. And so, Jesus, we trust in you. We say, fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us the ability that when those moments come in our lives, that we would respond like Christ and not like our old self. Thank you for hearing our prayers this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.